Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are author Candace Sanderson, re- author of Reluctant Method. <laughs> oh, geez, I'll have my script. Uh, um, uh, my executive producer, Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, author of Who Do Cleansing Protection Magic, binaural production engineer, Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in becoming a contributor to this show, Go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And before we get started, I am just going to apologize in advance. I am not in my normal location. So in the background, you're going to hear a cat purring. You're probably going to hear my dog barking. And it's going to be complete chaos until I get into my new house. And with all that said, our guest for today is Craig I'm not sure how the syllables fall. Campobasso. 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 Damn syllables always mess me up. <laughs> <laughs> and you are the author of the Extraterrestrial Almanac. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm hanging out here with the Jersey Devil, and yeah. Also, there's been a report of a skinwalker out here. I have not seen either, but I have heard some strange sounds at night. Well, we can see through the window. So if we see any skinwalkers, <laughs> extraterrestrials, or uh, Jersey Devils, we're going to let you know. Oh, some birds just flew by. Yeah, there's that was a lot of birds. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So, but I would much rather see a skinwalker because I've never saw a skinwalker before. Wow. Yeah. Have you ever seen one? No. I've never seen one. I've just heard about the you know the giant wolves that changed form at uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Hmm. Have you ever so, seen any type of cryptid or extraterrestrial? I have seen. Um, interestingly enough, I went on a investigation um, about five years ago to a very big abduction case on mm-hmm. the Cape Fear River. The actual abductee took me uh, down to the river, showed me where everything happened. Uh, you know, he had uh, several hours of missing time. The other people who were with him fishing were either cornered by these strange little creatures. Some were, there were all different sizes, mm-hmm. by the way. And, um, and so uh, he said, you know, they, when he got back, he grabbed his son and they uh, hightailed at home, which is maybe, you know, less than 10 minutes away. Their backyard is forest, which looks very much like <laughs> your background. <laughs> and so, um, interestingly enough, when they got home, um, they started to see the same ETs walking out of the forest towards them. They ran through the back door. The rest of the family wasn't home. They ran in through the back door. Uh, the son went into his room and the house sort of sits up. You kind of have to walk upstairs. Mm-hmm. So it sits up. So you look down in the ground and he, he was telling me his experience 
And he said, I was standing here and it was standing right there staring up at me. And it, you know, and you, when you see the fear and their body shake and everything that goes along with it, um, they moved out of that house pretty quickly. And so he took me back to the house because it was abandoned. They were living somewhere else. And he was taking me through the backyard and he was showing me where they were coming. So I had a Minolta camera and I just kept snapping photographs. And um, and then after that, we went uh, inside the house, which had a very sort of dark prevailing presence. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I did not want to go back in the house. I did not want to go in the house. But everybody that was with us wanted to go in the house. And I was like, well, there's no way you're going to leave me in this backyard. So I went in the house and experienced that. Then, uh, then the next day, his kids and wife, he has four kids, they all said, we want to, we want to go back to the house and let us tell Craig our story. So they did. And, um, caught another, uh, I was, uh, one of, one of the boy's girlfriends was taking snapshots in the woods of, mm -hmm. uh, the forest and she caught a, a creature that looked different than the one I caught on my Minolta camera. Now I didn't know I caught it until the very next morning when I was going through my digital photos. Right. Um, I put, I call it the unknown alien and I put it in the ET almanac and tell the story. It's a, uh, it's the very last entry. And it was, uh, it was a being, um, that its legs ended where our knees would be. So I have very short legs and a very long sort of wide torso, a thin neck, mm -hmm. an oval head. It was holding like this, a light source that had a light here, right? And, um, and it was kind of in silhouette because it was dusk. And so we lightened up the picture and we could see that the being was wearing goggles. Right. Right. And interestingly enough, it was like immediately I said, Oh, that's an interdimensional device that's holding. And I bet you those goggles are like night vision binoculars mm -hmm. like we use but for seeing into other dimensions right? right that was my the immediate thought that came to mind um i didn't feel any animosity or or weirdness from the being even though it did look different it didn't feel that it was a harmful uh being and of course throughout many many years um and all of his experiences with these creatures and things like that, uh, that they were benevolent and that kind of thing. So, but that was his very first part of the abduction. So, so to me, it was really interesting. And he shared the photo with some, some, uh, guys that he knows in the know. And they said that, uh, that they knew what this race was, that they had been, that they had first visited back in the fifties. And they were wondering why they were back visiting now. Hmm. Right. So, 
so it was just interesting to be able to have captured it. I did not see it with the naked eye right. because it was doing an interdimensional thing. So um, I, I've caught, you know, spirits and things like that on camera before as well, where I didn't see anything. But mm -hmm. then when you develop the picture, you see that it's there. So um, and I did photograph a UFO in Sedona once as well. It was a, a ball, a metallic ball that was traveling between Bell Rock and Courthouse Beauty. Was it just one? It was just one. Was it glowing? It wasn't glowing. It was just a metallic ball that was traveling, you know, going this way. So it was during the and day? It was during the day, and I was actually driving, and I saw it with my eyes, and I grabbed my phone, and I was, you know, driving and trying to click as many as I could, and one, one picture came out good of uh, what it looks like. So... In my new MUFON book that doesn't come out till October of next year, mm -hmm. I've included that photograph as well. So, What do you think it is about Sedona? Do you think it is a portal? Do you think that there's a base yes. underground? Like, what yes. is it? I mean, there's something happening in Sedona. So I first visited for the Harmonic Convergence in 1987. I had just heard about Sedona and people's experiences there. Um, when I went and I, I, you know, you go to the vortexes, I, I was on Bell Rock and, and visited a few other vortexes. I definitely felt my energy escalate. And then I started actually having um, really profound visions by just being there. So... I, I learned of a local man named Tom Dongo. I don't know if you've ever had him on your show, but if you have it, you have to. I, I know Tom pretty well, actually. Yes, oh, I have good. Had him on. He, good. He, he did the Bradshaw Ranch. That's right. That's yeah. right. So he's, he's become a good friend of mine, and we've actually gone and done the several radio shows together, you know, talking about all this stuff. So, um, so you know, just learning... Uh, about all the things that go on in Sedona. Uh, supposedly there's several bases in Sedona um, and one in Jerome, and, uh, and supposedly they're all interconnected underground as well. But, um, but where they're located and how you get there and do that uh, is a whole nother uh, question. I don't think I'd want to know because, you know, those, those kind of installations... Are like Area 51, mm -hmm. you know. I'm sure they would. Um, you might not make it back out. Hmm. Do you right? think that all these underground bases? You think they're all connected by? You know, I've heard stories that there's this underground train in the United States that goes everywhere, super fast, and it connects like um, you know Sedona, Area 51, Dulce, um, Edwards. Air Force Base, all these places that are known for extraterrestrial things. And they have this whole underground network connecting all these things. And they can get from one place to another like in a matter of minutes rather than yes. hours. Yes. Yes, I, I, I have not heard that, but I, I would believe that it would be true because um, 
I met I met old generals uh, many years ago with Dr. Frank Stranges, and they told me a lot about the Pentagon and that there was an underground train that that went directly to the White House mm -hmm. and that they would travel back and forth there in uh, the Extraterrestrial Species Almanac in Agartha, which is below land. We have several cities all over the place and um, and they have those bullet trains as well that are um, uh, what do you call it? It's like um, it's not really on a track, but it's on a track. It's like on yeah. a beam, and it could go very, very fast. Yeah, so when I heard it travel. was kind of like those things that you put in the bank, and it sucks the tube up. Right, right, right. Exactly. So, so I would imagine that <coughs> they would have something similar to that uh, to go to all the bases. It just makes perfect sense. Wow. So in yeah. Agartha, is that connected any way to some of these other more, um, like say for instance, um, Antarctica? Would Antarctica have anything to do with that? You know, well, the, the diary of Admiral Byrd? Well, interestingly enough, um, uh, we know that Admiral Byrd went in and he did meet with Agarthans from... Uh, one of the cities that was uh, that were uh, enlightened beings as well, right? Mm -hmm. There was a book also written uh, in the twenties called "The Smoky God" about a man and his. I think it was his son, and they ended up going into Agartha, and they met the giants there. And they lived with them for a couple of years and went to the different things. And what was interesting is they said that they would always meet a high priest of that particular uh, thing, like um, the old uh, Atlanteans. Mm -hmm. um, they live in a city called Posid, which is located, I think, under the Mato Grosso in Brazil. The ancient Lemurians... Their main uh, branch is called Telos, which is located below uh, Mount, Mount Shasta, right? Like oh. one mile down, and then they have a city there. And then there are cities that are spread out all over the place. Um, we do know that there are uh, negative extraterrestrials that live below, but they're not a part of the Agarthan uh, network. As well, are those the guys that live underneath uh, L.A.? Well, <laughs> I, you know, I've heard so many stories, right? I mean, really, who knows? I, uh, there's been so there's been stories of um, reptilian type creatures, snake like creatures that come up and people see them. Um, uh, different things like that in Sedona. I met a few people that, that slept back in Boynton Canyon and encountered greys uh, hunting around out there at night. Um, that would be very spooky to mm -hmm. camp in the middle, the back of Boynton Canyon. I don't think you can get back there anymore, um, but uh, that would be a very scary thing because there is said to 
uh, a lot of people believe that that's where one of the bases is, way in the back underground, because they can hear the uh, the steam and the the noise coming up from grates that you know come up through the earth. So hmm. these yeah. underground civilizations, like you know, Atlanteans, Telos, Agartha, would you consider these races extraterrestrial? Or would you consider them Earth races that went underground and have always been here? Well, supposedly the Lemurians came here and settled from somewhere else a long, long time ago. I don't remember exactly how how long ago. I, I do have it in my notes from when I did the research. Um, and then the Atlanteans, which are Assyrian race mm -hmm. right they came with atlantis uh many 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 years after and set that up so there's been many other races that that uh have been explored in the et almanac as well that they came here and seeded the planet so there there's all these various different races i mean we really are a hybridization of species off world and and uh who knows what was here before and mm -hmm. if those those beings were given an upgrade eventually right throughout thing i mean we really don't know interesting yeah do you think that like i was just watching i guess it was expedition unknown origins of the human species you know mm -hmm. and, and he's real you know evolutionary right point of view you know like, like like it started somewhere with like with a chimpanzee and right. we do have i guess 98 percent chimpanzee dna um do you think that they modified the chimpanzee to make humans or do no. you think that there was some other species that they modified to create us no i i don't think so i mean in all of the things that uh I've studied and that kind of thing that humans are humans and chimpanzees and other things are other things just because we might share the same DNA for arms and legs and eyes and things like that. Um, I'm not really sure, but the thing is, is, uh, you know, we would have to, we would have to really know a highly advanced geneticist, right? Yeah who would who would be able to to fraction off exactly what parts of the dna that we are alike with other creatures as well so um like we know a lot of et races they're they're like tech gods they they know how to create all kinds of different life forms by the mixture of certain amounts of DNA from different creatures to make whatever they want, whether they're creating, um, you know, an aggressive race for them uh, for themselves, mm -hmm. or whether they're creating a new benevolent race that might start life on a planet that's ready for life. Hmm. Why do you think you would want to create a warlike? Um, race is that you think they would just do that to protect themselves from other warlike races? Well, there uh, a lot. Uh, if you look at it this way, if you create a race 
think of Star Wars and Clone Wars, mm -hmm. the, you know, the Clone Wars, then you don't have to send your own people out to yeah. do it. So they're not going to get killed. So if you create a race that you can mind control and get them to do what you want to do, then that's how a lot of things are done. And they sometimes they will send those beings in craft to other worlds to do research and things like that um, so that they, in case if they were to get caught or the craft crashed or something like that, then there's no um, there's no evidence that they were there. Hmm. Right. Interesting. So humans are humans a benevolent race or a warlike race? Well, all races have uh, good and bad, no matter no matter where, you know. So the main thing is to always remember that you judge always to judge the individual and not the race. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of people ask me, why are you know, why are the reptilians so negative and that kind of thing? And I said, well, that's really not that's not true. There's a fraction of them that are very aggressive and that a lot of people <laughs> have contact with and that kind of thing. And then there are a lot of people who have benevolent uh, uh, experiences with them. And then there's uh, and then there's very enlightened ones that are a part of the cosmic community of in the fully conscious realm mm -hmm. where beings are fully conscious, unlike us who are dualistic. Hmm. Yeah. So, so you think human beings fall somewhere in the middle of the spectrum, maybe? Well, uh, as we all know, we've all encountered all kinds of different human beings. <laughs> in our that is true. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, so there are, you know, there are some that are just wired for destruction and aggression and all of that. And there's others that are wired for love, affection, compassion. And uh, so um, we really can't just pinpoint it on anything. And we know it comes in all uh, shapes, sizes, colors and all of that because, mm -hmm. you know, hatred does not discriminate. Yeah. Interesting. One of the things that you mentioned, though, is that you would create every races that are um, susceptible to mind control. Do you think sure. humans are susceptible to mind control and are under that kind of influence from extraterrestrials? Well, in the let's say in the case of Calvin Parker and the Pascagoula incident, mm -hmm. right? He, him, and um, Charlie, when they were abducted. They were put under a hypnotic um, trance. Yeah. So these robotic creatures through their eyes were able to go in and sort of like psychically control them to keep them docile. And then they were able to then bring them on board and then the this evil woman alien examined them. In the case of Travis Walton, when he first awoke on the craft, he had this device over his chest, and he wasn't really quite sure where he was. He didn't know if he was in the hospital, um, uh, if he was in a military installation, 
anything like that. And then when his eyes focused, he saw two gray creatures and with the big eyes and it, it frightened him. So mm -hmm. he knocked that thing off his chest, getting off of the table, stumbled. And he said those two creatures use their eyes to hypnotically get control of him. And he fought it. And because they couldn't gain control of them, they left the room. Hmm. Right. And then what happened is he went and was trying to find a way to get out of this place. He didn't know what it was. And then there was a very tall, uh, sort of blonde Nordic looking being that came and he thought, Oh my God, a human. And he was explaining to this guy, but the guy never talked and he just took him. He, he took him through these corridors they walked out they were sort of in a um a hole where they kept a lot of these ships right so he mm -hmm. saw he saw uh different ships there and then they walked across and they went into another doorway and into another room and then they gained control of him to um uh help him and of course in the end travis really believes that because of that beam and them sending him back and where he fell, <clears throat> that they actually brought him on board to heal him. And it took some time uh, for that to happen. I mean, he could have had very bad uh, radiation poisoning. We don't really know. Um, so, so there are, though there have been abduction cases where uh, reptiles have that capability of hypnotic, uh, gaining control of people, uh, uh, grays as well. Um, if it's a benevolent race and they're visiting, um, they would never abduct anyone, but they might, if they were, if that person was attached to that prior civilization, right? Mm -hmm. Then, they may be coming to help wake them up so that they can they can use, quicken their own spirituality so that they can raise consciousness and help the people around them raise consciousness so that you know one by one throughout the world once a consciousness raises all of these negative beings that are here uh you know trying to get our resources and all other things is what uh what happens is is the elevation becomes so high they can't stand to live here anymore and then they usually vacate interesting yeah um do you think like like that is their ultimate goal and that is why they do things the way they do them is to raise human consciousness and human awareness gradually as in and even even as a collective to help us from uh, destroying ourselves? Yes, there's... Um, I have another set of books called The Autobiography of an Extraterrestrial Saga, right? It's a, Right now, it's a four-part book series, and it'll be seven in total. So in these books, it's really like us... On Earth, if we take Star Trek and, and, you know, we see how they go out and explore new worlds and things like that, we in these books are up in the universe to see how they raise younger worlds, 
and one of the focuses is on Earth. And part of that program is a starseed program where uh, beings from all over the universe uh, can leave their bodies and then come here to Earth and reincarnate here. And then all their memories and things are erased. But then as they, they grow at a certain point, they will have a major spiritual revel revelation or mm -hmm. awakening. And then they just want to learn everything spiritually and they start to live their life that way. And so that helps really uh, rise up the consciousness. If you really think about it, in a lot of the big cities where we were in the 70s, and where we are now is a gigantic, huge <laughs> leap, right? Yeah, I remember I the mean, 70s. It, right, me too. <laughs> so that's a huge, huge leap. So, but the lead character in the book, uh, his name is Charon. He is a seven foot seven Pleiadian Nordic man, right? And he is in charge. He is a senior professor at the University of Melchizedek. And um, what uh, and Melchizedek is uh, there are 490 university planets and they go from one end of the galaxy to the other. So each planet is a university planet that teaches primarily one one thought or one way in learning for various uh, things throughout the universe. So his. His uh, thing is he's the one who actually trains and teaches new starseeds and other starseeds who are coming in and out through reincarnation cycles about what their lives will be, what they will have to overcome, um, that they will be watched over. Uh, uh, many starseeds know this. They've had uh, lots of interactions on craft, uh, through dream states, uh, uh, different things like that. Um, some people have met uh, the ETs face-to-face, -face, lots of people that I've talked to. Um, and and it's all about spiritual growth, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, but the interesting thing is, is that Tehran was one of the anomalies in the universe when he was born. He was actually born dualistic. Everyone else is born fully conscious because they're born and they, they already have that. In there, uh, they they don't need to ascend like we need to ascend right. here, because they've already got those ascension chakras, mm -hmm. right? So, so interestingly enough, he's dualistic. But why that happens in every two hundred thousand births is so that the people, the fully conscious people, will stay um, very earnest towards a person who's dualistic so that they can learn from them uh, and their thought process and for the dualistic person to learn from the fully conscious people. So Tehran goes through several steps throughout the books and learns how to become fully conscious. So the actual reader of the book can become fully conscious by taking the path of Tehran and how he became fully conscious. Wow. Right. So so that's what I always like to tell everyone is to really, you know, um, uh, uh, see how what happens to Tehran and then uh, equate it to your own and work on yourself. 
mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So it also goes into the chakras, how the chakras merge, the top three, the bottom three, they all merge into the heart and they become a beautiful circle. And it's then all the different rainbow colors of the chakra, which and then it's surrounded with a sort of cherry light, pink light for love. And then the ascension uh, chakras come in and then they're in between where the other chakras are. And then they start to work and do that. And then this is when everyone starts to work from their heart instead of their mind right and they become more heart based and then the ego slowly chips away and uh, you become a really just loving being and you understand everyone else's plight and if somebody gets angry or somebody gets that you're really understanding of it because that used to that used to be your old shell now you have a beautiful new shell right and that kind of thing. So it's really exciting. The uh, website is autobiography of um, com, And if people want to purchase all four books, you can mm-hmm. do it with uh, one button. And the ET Almanac is uh, it, uh, in the main tab. It says other books. You can click on that to order it there. And I sign all the books to everybody, too. If, if oh, that's so like. cool. That's very yeah. cool. That's a really interesting concept, though, that of, yeah. um, you know, duality sort of having a benefit in a way of allowing yeah. a being to be more sympathetic or more yeah. empathetic yeah. Toward, towards beings that are struggling where a being that's already been created as an enlightened being hasn't had all yeah. those experiences. Therefore, it might not complete you or fully understand it all. Knows, I guess, right. is its purpose or its job. Like almost like a robot. Well, it's per. You know, interestingly enough, is when you're a fully conscious being, you've never had the experience of being dualistic, right? So, so it's sort of a, a twofold thing: is you get to go and help raise consciousness on Earth because you know, all of your memories of who you were before and where you came from will be erased until you start to wake up and and vibe on that and and start to see and have experiences but the other thing is is you get to learn and gain uh, knowledge and wisdom for your own soul being a dualistic being and going through all the trials and tribulations that we all go through i mean all of us have gone through so so much i mean i love that one saying and i know i'm going to say it wrong but it's like, you know, be kind to everyone because you don't know what they've been through. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, if you, if we were all telepathic, we would know every person, even though we didn't know them, we would sense and know all of that their soul has struggled through. Right? And you look at some people and, uh, I mean, people that I know and that I don't know, and, and, you know, going through horrific uh, diseases and overcoming them or, you know, just horrible traumatic things. I mean, you know, uh, just watch 2020. My God. <laughs> so, 
you know, I mean, that uh, it's just, you, uh, you just can't believe the atrocities and things like that that actually happen in this world. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's, uh, it's, it's really a beautiful experience for those beings from somewhere else to be here. And I always tell people, look, they would call us extraterrestrials like we call them extraterrestrials, True. right? So, I mean, we really are one in the same. The one message from all of the benevolent races is that we are all born from the same primordial atom. Mm-hmm. We are all one and the same. And that every planet is for us to live on. No one owns a planet, right? right? But we have these negative races that want to own a planet from the, from secretly from the inside for its resources and doing whatever nefarious deeds that they want to do. Mm-hmm. But if we, if we look at it from the benevolent side is that everything really is ours. It's for all of us and we're all sovereign and we're all, um, you know, we, we all have a journey and we all have everything and everyone is, everyone in the benevolent societies are there to help. So if somebody was walking and, and was down and depressed, the actual people that were around that being would stop and help them in any way, shape that they could. Maybe it was just through a, a hug or something like mm-hmm. that. And, understanding that telepathy goes beyond just talking thought to thought. It's also the exchange of emotions and feelings of the experience. So if I was sharing something with you and we were both telepathic, I would share my feeling body with you. Mm -hmm. And what would happen is you would gain full sensory perception of my experience through me talking to you and through the feeling body and therefore, you became a part of my experience. So you, your soul, actually grew some mm-hmm. as well through that experience and vice versa. So, so that's why there's no secrets. And everything is shared. Everything is, um, they share all their technology. Actually, in the book, I put all of the enlightened technology in the back of the books. The mothership, mm-hmm. starships, all the different craft and things like that. The thing that difference between the civilizations is that they might make it look, you know, it might be the design of the craft or uh, things of that nature as well. So, um, and a lot of the cases in the book are taken from real live contactee cases. Wow. So I've, I've been studying um, this for well over 35 years. So <laughs> one of my favorite things is contactee cases. And I love a lot of the very early ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the filmmaker of Stranger at the Pentagon over here, uh, which was the very early contact of Valiant Thor. Valiant Thor, yep. That's right. In, I read uh, the 19- book. Yeah, yeah. In the 19, well, from 1957 to 1960, and then he returned in 1961 and is still here and is here to see this planet shift out of duality and into becoming a fully conscious planet. Then the planet rejoins universal society and 
all of that knowledge gets to be shared with us. Isn't that going to be amazing to no, actually be, see yeah. real live <clears throat> events that you can watch? Like you can watch, you could go to any time in history and it's on what they call a history coin and you pop the coin into the machine and up comes a 5D hologram and you could watch the life of Jesus. You could mm -hmm. watch anything from history and see what really and truly happened. Wow. That to me is, would be so cool. I would love to have that now. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, all of us would literally, it would be like the first time the internet came out, mm -hmm. right? We were all on the internet going, oh my God, look at you, look at this, look at that. I think right? in, so, maybe in some ways we do have access to something similar to that through the Akashic Records. That's right, absolutely. And that's where they're recorded from is the Akashic Records. So, yeah. so if, you, if you can, uh, if you know how to obtain the Akashic Records and go inside, you can definitely learn and see. I mean, I've done that as well and that kind of thing but i loved a lot of the cases because they were all so different and unique and that they were all involved with earth mm -hmm. right so there's a race um called cold Kardashians, um not to be confused with the kardashian <laughs> <laughs> but like one of their one of their commanders um, was assigned to this section of the universe. And part of his training was to live on Earth as an Earth person for two years. So he lived in Europe, and he befriended a lot of people who looked just like us. And he be befriended a lot of people. And then he shared uh, with uh, one man that he was in contact with, who he was because he knew that man was his soul was where he was from so he knew he would be open to it and so then a, a small group sort of gathered and um so he he was here for two years and left and then we know we had the uh, umo that have come and gone several times and they tried a different tactic is they started writing to scientists mm -hmm. and things of that nature to help them solve pollution problems and different things of that nature um and then we have a, a really interesting race called the itapurians who for a very long time um they went to a they they stopped eating food and they went to a liquid diet right and so their teeth uh, over time became very small and rudimentary as well as their mouths and um so when they would go to other worlds they would wear like a piece of jewelry or something on their uh lapel so that when they would talk telepathically it would actually come out of the device mm -hmm. right and so they, they set up shop in uh, deep in the Amazon forest and they were, uh, um, you know, they were friends with the natives mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And they, um, they what, what they always were looking for were new flavors 
to satisfy their palates. So they were creating all the different kind of fruits and, and um, uh, what do you call it when you when you mix two fruits together? What do they call it? Grafting? When you graft the uh, I don't know together. how they, what they call it. Yeah, it's something <laughs> something of that nature. So they you know they would do that, but at one point their planet uh, was dying, and they went out and they found three planets that were in close proximity. And they were allowed to move uh, their civilizations there. And so in time increments, they moved their civilization to one planet. They would transfer, you know, the animal and plant life and people in, in increments. One planet they decided to keep, and they used it as only an emanation of love center, where this planet was only love that would mm -hmm. emanate this love into the other two planets. And the third planet is where they put all of their machines because they said that they found that machinery causes cancer. And so they put that on that world, but they have come here periodically to, um, you know, to find new fruits and new things to make their drinks with, uh, which I found is very interesting. And then, um, Alpha Centaurians, which are sort of, you know, big, tall, Nordic-y looking beings. Um, they've been coming down into Peru a lot and, and actually having face-to-face -face with many, many contactees. I know several of them. Um, and in one case, um, there were a hundred people that went to Sand Flats with the contactee and which is in mount shasta and they all did a meditation and they chanted and did stuff to to uh create this vibration and then at night uh two craft came over lit up the forest which was not far from where they were all sitting in this big open space and then there were a selection of less than 10 people who were brought into the forest to meet the Alpha Centaurian and some other beings that were on the craft. And they do this through a, a dimensional portal called a Zendra, X-E-N-D-R-A. And so these people actually met extraterrestrials for the very first time. And um, one guy wasn't ready and really had a little, you know, um, episode, and I'm not. I, I haven't heard what right. he would be like more today, mm -hmm. but he wasn't invited. He snuck in, right? So, <laughs> so there's all of these interesting things, and then, um, and then what I'm doing now is I'm uh, I've been uh, working with three other producers who are. Um, award-winning producers of documentaries as I am as well and um, and we're making the ET Almanac into a documentary that's awesome so, yeah so it's going to be an extension of the book where you're going to hear from the real life people the contactees mm -hmm. the people are meeting these beings face to face um, with highly regarded professionals I tried to get as many different kind of people for the documentary 
not the same people that are in all the same UFO documentaries, (laughs) right? Because it's just the same old stuff over and over again. This is really focusing more on who the extraterrestrials are and, and what their purpose is and why, why, who are they? Why are they here? And that type of thing. And so what I, uh, and so I'm also going to be creating all the extraterrestrials through computer generated images, mm-hmm. which is like going to see a Marvel movie and you see everything come to life. Yeah. That kind of thing. So anyway, um, uh, so I started a crowdfunding campaign because it's, uh, very timely and costly and, um, uh, so if anybody's interested in, uh, helping us, uh, mm-hmm. achieve our goal, they can, you know, chip in five bucks, anything, a buck, five bucks, a hundred bucks, a million bucks. <laughs> I don't think anybody will chip in a million bucks, but I might be able to chip in a million. Yeah, there you go. I'd love that. <laughs> Put me in the credits. So, that's right. That's right. So I sent you the link. So uh, maybe if you're able to, you can post it. Yeah, it'll be in the notes of this episode to help support that project. That's a cool idea. Um, I wonder, is there, any, is there anybody I know that's going to be in this? Well, I can't release who it is yet, uh-huh. who the people are in the documentary because of um, the distributor, mm-hmm. right? They don't want anything out yet because this probably won't be out till like next summer. Mm-hmm. We've concluded all of the interviews. And so now we're now in the editing process and starting the, um, uh, starting the CGI process as well. Uh, and the reason why I started it so late is I really didn't know how expensive it was going to be <laughs> when I started. I was like, oh, my God. And then, of course, I'm talking to my post-production supervisor who, you know, was a um, a, a head guy who did over 60 giant studio films. And I said, you know, this is what they want to try. And he goes, that is so cheap. I go, I know, but that's like just the money that I have. I could, that's like one shot, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, when, when I made the short film Stranger at the Pentagon, I, I did a crowd, two crowdfunding campaigns, one to get it going and then another one later to raise the money for CGI. And hmm. it was so amazing that everyone came together and, uh, donated and, um, because in that film, we had over 80 uh, visual effects shots. Wow. Right? Yeah. You know, they, we, we couldn't hire ILM, but we were able to get a nice mom-and-pop place that was able to give us some nice-looking visual effects. Um, it's, yeah, it's not going to look like a Marvel movie, but we want these ETs to look really good, like they were in a, mm-hmm. you know, that you believe that that was them. So maybe I should try crowdfunding my uh, GE Kincaid project. You should. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you have a radio show, you can get it out there. You know, you just, uh, if you do that, uh, shoot me your link and I'll be happy to post it on all my social media as well. Yeah. Yeah. My my partner's going back out there to Grand Canyon in a couple of weeks to do some more 
scouting to try to find it. Um, when you mention, you know, one, one of my, I've, I've, doing this, I've interviewed a lot of contactees and right. a lot of people who've done hypnosis on contactees. Um, one in particular, I find him really fascinating because I had an experience with him and right. it was Reverend Michael Carter. And oh wow! I've it, never even heard of his case. Wow! Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, well, he's on Ancient Aliens quite a bit, um, right? But 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 yeah, he doesn't actually talk about it on the show. But he he had an encounter, and um, but as a result of it, the encounter, it's like he has like this ability to, like, to almost to heal people. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I find like that's actually been a common. Theme. It is it it, with is. these extra, extra these these encounters is afterwards the people that have these encounters all of a sudden have this ability to heal people, yeah. and then when they're able and, and the people that are healed by them are then able to also heal people. You know, right. it's like it's like it's like this almost like the opposite of a of a virus that makes people sick. It's right. a it's a virus that makes people heal other people. Do you think like that's, that's what's right. actually going on? Well, they up there in their worlds on their craft, and if they live on the interior of a planet, because most of them uh, live on the inside of planets to avoid all of the, you know, the rays and everything coming down on them, because that's what affects aging and all of that. Mm-hmm. So they have resonation fields, and this is what keeps the cells young and keeps all of them looking like they're 30 to 38 years old, right? Right. And this also helps them where they never have to, uh, they never get sick, they never get ill, or anything like that, because they're always in this perfect state of mind, being fully conscious. So when, when contactees come in contact with them, Sometimes what they do is just by being in their presence, that energy can get transferred to them. And then if they're doing a lot of healing work on themselves, they're able to also heal, but they know that they're not healing. They know it's coming from source. Mm -hmm. It's coming from this beautiful love source that's being done. So if they're doing it in that way, yes. That's that's uh, very interesting. Um, one thing that happened to me uh, when Dr. Frank was alive um, <laughs> was I I had gone to a restaurant and I ate um, some fish and it didn't agree with me. And I was sick in bed for three days. And on the third day, I was so sick. I had to call a friend and I said, you got to take me to the doctor. And um, so she did. And they sort of put me in a little bed there in the doctor's office and gave me all kinds of things to help my stomach. And nothing worked. I just got worse and worse. So they put me in an ambulance and took me to the hospital. And they did x-rays and everything there. And they said Mm -hmm. I had a bowel obstruction and that they were going to have to operate Uh uh, the next day. So by all of this time, it's now uh, nighttime. My friend is with me. She, she is the only one that knows where that this has happened, right? So 
Um, one of the vice commanders on Valiant Thor's ship, her name is Teal, mm-hmm. right? And um, she has uh, red, you know, shoulder-length red hair, porcelain skin, and green eyes. And um, that night, while I was asleep, I sort of woke up in a twilight, and I felt her standing over my body. And I felt bubbles starting to go through all of my intestines. And I heard, you'll be fine when you wake up in the morning. Right? I went back to sleep. And when I woke up in the morning, I looked over and sitting in the chair next to my bed was Dr. Frank. And he said, Teal called me this morning, told me to get my butt down here and tell you she fixed you up last night. Don't have that operation. Wow. That's incredible. And I was like mind blown, right? I was literally mind blown. So I literally said to them, I said, look, I feel much better. Please redo the x-rays. And they did. And it showed that I didn't have an obstruction anymore. And I walked out of there at like 2 o'clock that afternoon. So, yeah, it was just amazing. Amazing experience. Yeah, that, that that is incredible. You know, that, yeah, and it's interesting because because you also like mentioned like like you know it's not them like healing, but it's like the it opens like a like when you heal somebody, it makes you a conduit to that energy. Then when you yes, then that yeah. person does it to someone else, it makes them a conduit. So it's like this constant opening of a channel. That's right. That's right. Yes, it's a it's a beautiful conduit. Right. Yeah. And it, and and what we talked about before in working on yourself to become fully conscious, what you ultimately do is you connect your, your mind and the heart to source. I look at it as connecting to the cosmic heart. Look at it as a bright, beautiful sun that doesn't burn your eyes. And and when you connect to that, you connect to everything, and you can start learning. And if you have questions you can sort of go to that source and and meditate and get that back you can create healing from Mm -hmm. that source you can be a conduit uh for that source as well and just remember that um if you really want something you keep working and working and working towards it and eventually you will connect to it right just don't don't give up Mm -hmm. don't give up i mean I went through years and years and years of uh, practice. Um, you know, I, I'm dyslexic. I, uh, I did um, average in school, you know, uh, some A's, B's, and mostly C's. Um, uh, my mother sent me to a tutor after school that I, that I would go to. It was just that my mind couldn't connect <clears throat> to you know, a lot of things, like even when I started writing and doing things like that, everything was just sort of jumbled, but I really worked at it and I overcame it. Mm -hmm. And, and it was because I really worked on it hard. And then I would just keep saying, okay, I want my mind to go to the next level in writing. I want this. And then all of a sudden everything would shift and I would go, oh my God, this is like, this is amazing. I mean, my writing always came out automatic when I was doing the uh, autobiography of an extraterrestrial books. Those were they, you know, they basically uh, the master teacher said, 
um, after two years of preparation of waking me up from being totally asleep to being awake is they said, we want to sit you down and you just write and write and write until you cannot write anymore. And then I would wake up at 3 a.m. every morning and uh, write and write and write and write and write and write and write. And it would be this whole story was just coming out of my hands. So it was like reading a book. But then I had to go back and structure it mm -hmm. and put it in the proper stuff. Because yeah. you know, when you're channeling something, it's, you know, it's not like in its perfect form. Yeah. It's, it's the idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, when, when, when you went through that channeling ritual, um, yeah. <clears throat> Did, did you feel like you were consciously engaged with the writing? Or did yes. you feel like you were just, you know, being used as like a, a human pencil? Well, I never felt that I was being used because I really felt it was my, it's what I came here to do. And, and it felt right. And my experiences from the beginning of waking up were always, um, ultra loving to the point where my body just glowed in an emanation of love just um just uh, being in the presence of these beings but when i would write um their their forms would be standing behind me and in the first uh you know first uh i don't know months my body would just ring with chills for like 15 minutes because mm -hmm. their energy was so high until I started to get acclimated to it. And then the next thing was, is they would share their feeling body with me, like I told you, in telepathy, what we talked about earlier. And so then I could feel that, and I could start also writing from that perspective. So I got to learn who each and every person was, and who they were, uh, from their soul base, which was wow. a whole new experience, and it was just amazing. I mean, it was just an amazing experience <laughs> writing. So, I mean, I really love writing those books, and I, um, you know, I just finished my new MUFON book. We're we're still trying to figure out the title. Mm -hmm. Everyone's everyone's arguing over it at the all the publishing. There's like three publishers, <laughs> so I'm like, I'll just let them hack it out. And, um, but I, I'm starting to write, uh, the next book in the autobiography of an extraterrestrial uh, saga. And I'm doing a prequel. I'm going to do a prequel mm -hmm. because the characters are so rich. And, um, I wanted to go back and explore when they were younger and, uh, things that happened back then. So, so we're, I'm just getting going on that. Hmm. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Like, like so, so when you're doing this, is that you are feeling what the character or individual is feeling and yeah. thinking yeah. at the time and putting it on yeah. paper rather okay. than trying to, um, you know, I guess like, like most writers will try to put themselves in the position of their character. Right. But, but, right. but you're actually in the character. I'm actually in the character, which is that particular being from up there who is channeling their part in the saga, right? Mm -hmm. 
So it's it's a whole unique thing. So when like a a created being which is like a a god or a goddess is if we want to say like Valiant Thor is a created being. So when you're writing from that perspective, their energy is so elevated that you literally from the first time with them, I would just sit at the computer and sob because they were so beautiful for like 15 minutes. And, um, and then I would, you know, get in there and uh, start going. So yeah, it's, it's an amazing process. I, I mean, it's so unique mm-hmm. and, um, and there's never any writer's block. <laughs> <laughs> With, you know, I mean, my understanding is Valiant Thor is supposed to be from Venus. How many extraterrestrial species exist within our solar system that you're aware of? Well, that I don't know. I don't know how many species that there are. The Alpha Centaurians say that, let me get the statistics, they say that they know of 1,019,000 races, right? right? The Urantia book, which, you know, is like this I thick. know, it's a and, tough and, read. You, know, I mean, you, you, like, try to attempt it, and you're like, oh, my God, whether well, no human could have wrote this. Yeah, right? Right. So, um, the Earth registry number in this universe is 5,342,482,337,666. So, imagine how many other planets there are that are beyond this number. Right? And we don't know how far it goes because it just keeps expanding. It never ends. And then the Urantia book also talks about that there are seven super universes. Mm-hmm. And within each super universe, there are 700,000 universe ovums. So we are only one ovum in super universe seven right right and imagine how big ours is so imagine the creation and all of the other things it's wanting to explore and see there could be life forms beyond anything that we could even comprehend colors oh sure there uh, is. worlds air water i mean different there could be so many variations of everything and mm-hmm. then of course we go up into all of the dimensions and all of the beings that are you know that have graduated all you know 12 beyond dimensions that doesn't end because nothing ever ends it just keeps going right um eventually what what happens with the soul is we eventually uh when when we're done with our giant soul journey and look at all the planets in the universe as a school mm-hmm. right once we've done with all of our schooling we merge back into the universe and then we can be created as a created being because now we have all the knowledge mm-hmm. and we can go on with the next with the next phase of our evolution right so 
there's lots of things to look forward to. It just never ends, <laughs> right? And it's interesting, you know, ever since my parents died, my mom's been gone for over 20 years, mm -hmm. my uh, dad for about five or six years, and um, my bio dad died in 2006. And I have, I have in, the, in a lucid dream state, have been with my mother and parents on the other side to see where they're living, what they're doing, that kind of thing. And it's very similar to here, except you can go anywhere with a thought, mm -hmm. right? If you want to go, hey, let's just go to Paris for lunch. Boom. You're in Paris. You can go to lunch. That kind of thing. And Sylvia Brown always talked about that the astral world is three feet above Earth. And at one dream that I had with my mom, I was in her uh, bathroom and I opened the side door and I looked down and it was like in the Middle East. It was like, a, you know, where they have the big outdoor bazaar shops. Mm -hmm. And I saw all the people walking and I was like, oh, I'm three feet above them. Right. And I closed the door, and it just—it was just an interesting, you know, thought about that. Huh. And um, so there's so much more that you know, even in going to the spirit realm and that kind of thing that that there is. And and my mother has come to me many times, and she even was caught on film in a full-blown uh, apparition. Mm -hmm. um, right above my head. Wow. Yeah, and I've shown it to lots of, um, uh, you know, people who are into near-death experience, and they all said this is one of the best photos that they had ever seen. So oh, That's um, awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. So I haven't released it into the public yet. I will at some point. <laughs> it's nice to know that they really haven't left us, you know. No, no. I mean, I like to talk about these things because people know that there's that they're alive somewhere else, and people know that they feel them around them. I, I like to tell these stories because when people are having heartaches and different things in their life, their loved ones are really right there yeah. with them, and um, and really all you have to do is call upon them and that kind of thing. And, and they really are right there. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, uh, it's yeah. you know, it's like just amazing. There's so many great experiences I can I could go into, but uh, <laughs> but but there uh, it's all beautiful. And I know a lot of people, especially in these times and COVID and being uh, freaked out about what's going on in the world and all of that, just knowing that they're there. And they're there to help guide them and to do, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of, um, you know, the guidance is the most important thing. And they really are there to guide. Yeah. yeah. It's very reassuring to yeah. feel them, still have some type of communication with them. Yeah. To know that, you know, even though somebody passes from this realm, you're still not alone. Right. You right. Know? And, and, and that's an amazing thing because I think sometimes people, after you know, lost, they get lost themselves because they feel they so alone. 
And right. you don't really have to. I mean, I mean, maybe if that is part of their experience, that they're here experiences to feel that loneliness, I, I get that. But if you're at a place where you can choose, yeah, you can choose to look outside of this reality a little bit and see how much there really right. is. There really is. I mean, there really and truly is. And some of the, some people who have died and come back to life, even um, Roger Ebert, mm-hmm. remember the critic? Yeah. He died, and when he was lying there dead, his wife was leaning over him. He came back into his body, opened his eyes, and said, Oh, my God, this world is a lie. <laughs> and then he died and then he was dead again yep. in other words he was like oh my god I'm in the real reality now mm-hmm. this is beautiful this is you know this is incredible and, and here we are here we're in school yeah, yeah right? I was just having this conversation last night with somebody like you know I don't mean to be you know and I had a tough time explaining it I was like you know I don't, I'm just as fascinated with dying as I am with people being born because it's really the same thing. There's yes. no difference. They're yeah. both as equally important. Right. And, and to really pay attention when kids talk because they're still part of the spirit world up until like age four or five. Wow. So things yeah. that come out of their mouth are absolutely... Um, amazing. My, my niece, when she was a little thing and I could hold her in my arms, um, she said, she looked at me and she says, Uncle Craig, I'm God. You're <laughs> God. Mommy's God. Dad's God. My, my sister and her husband are not religious. They don't talk about any of that stuff. But she came out and was just saying that. Right, amazing. just amazing. I mean, she was just like a little thing. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, crazy. There's some kids uh, that that I know of that um, are super, uh, like super implants from somewhere from other worlds who are here, who are drawing all kinds of symbols and things talking about the bad beings and the good beings and uh this one comes into my room this one is bad this one is this and then and then uh sometimes they're trying they're uh trying to be recruited into secret programs Mm -hmm. as well like their parents will get a call anonymously to recruit them into these kind of uh, secret programs. So um, there's some brainiacs out there. I mean, I, I, I was in contact with two brothers. And um, when one was 15 and the other was 13, uh, the 15-year-old could speak five star languages. He drew star maps. Um, the other one was like an inventor. I mean... They showed me all these things they were building. Yeah, when I'm older, I'm going to build this machine, and this is how it's going to help the Earth. Mm-hmm. And when and I'm going to build this machine, and this is what this machine's going to do uh, to help the Earth. And I'm going to and I'm like, oh my God, this is just amazing. These are now like brilliant beings that are able to come in with more force because as you as you progress through a starseed line, and then your parents are really anchored and fully conscious beings, 
those new star beings can come in with a very high IQ and are able to sustain it, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, because if you come in with your full energy, you would short circuit and burn out. So you have to come in with a little at a time. So as time goes on and the star seed lines become stronger and stronger, that they're able to come in with more of their soul force and more of their knowledge and wisdom from where they came from. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it gives a lot of hope, too. Yes, a lot of hope, absolutely. And there's a lot out there. I mean, I want people to know that there's more, there are more benevolent um, species and things that are here looking out for us. And um, I'm sure at some point we will see all of the things that they've done to protect us. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because a lot of people never think about, well, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe maybe they've done a whole lot that you don't know, right? Right, because they're protecting us from all different kinds of things. Some things are, I guess, allowed to happen. Some negative things because that's part of the learning curve. That's part of the learning process. And if a if a civilization doesn't really learn from their mistakes, it just keeps destroying itself. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. So before we wrap this up. Where is the best place for my listeners to find you? And um, and I'll also put that um, crowdfunding link, too, in the notes to this episode so people can contribute to the documentary. Oh, that'd be awesome. Thank you so much. Um, if they want to uh, watch the Stranger at the Pentagon short film, they can go to strangerathepentagon.com or it's on Amazon Prime. Um, if you're interested in Dr. Frank's books, I have the remaining um, uh, copies mm-hmm. uh, because it's out of print. Uh, you could go on the website and click uh, buy book and DVD. And I have the posters and Valiant Thor t-shirts because everyone begged me for it. So I hired a comic book artist who did it, which was really good. And then um, you can buy the Autobiography of an Extraterrestrial Saga books at autobiographyofanet.com. And then on that same website, in the tab under Other Books, is where you can get the Extraterrestrial Species Almanac. Awesome. Well, I'll put all those yeah. links in notes of this episode. And, and uh, this is a fantastic interview, and thank you for coming back again. You're welcome. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. It's always yeah. fun. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, my God. There's a cryptid. There's a cryptid. <laughs> uh, I think that may have been a bird, man. Probably. <laughs> it's that night they come out. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Keep those windows and doors this, locked. This is a crazy place at nighttime. <laughs> awesome. Uh, hang on for one second. I'm just going to play the outro.
choose your life.